Welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefee, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facilities side of our business. The club manager. We think we know the role as members, as boards, and as governors. Growing up in Stowe, Vermont, Elle Anderson thought she knew all about the club up there, too especially as she returned home to Stowe after a career as an elite athlete. Hi, and welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Shanafee, your host, and each week it's an honor and privilege to bring you the news and the views from the country club and boutique hotel industries. Elle Anderson returned home to Stowe in 2020 wanting to start a family. Well, she not only started a family, she also started the ball rolling at the Stowe Tennis Club as its newly appointed general manager. Stowe is one of the best-known tennis clubs in all of New England. You can click on our website and pay dues in about 30 seconds now, says Anderson, and most members don't realize how much time structuring and offering dues payments takes behind the scenes. She says, software is great, but you have to invest in manpower to make member services and hospitality that much better. As a nonprofit, she goes on, there just isn't enough attention paid to operating an actual business. She's seeing her role evolving as a keynote speaker, but also as a listener, spending time to see what other clubs are doing and how other memberships are acting. I look at my members as sort of constituents, says the youthful Anderson, and I want to offer a great discussion to show how we can make the club that much better. But before I usher Elle on the line, I'd like to remind our 10,000 listeners where you can find us on the web, right there on our website, beyondthebaselines.com. We offer management consultancy, executive search for country clubs and boutique hotels and their department heads, and full management from just the sports department through to interim club management to full facility management. But now, from the ski slopes of Stowe, we snowplow into the role of club manager at one of the most elite tennis clubs in America with its extremely thoughtful and insightful manager. Here's L. Anderson. This week, we have Elle Anderson with us. She's the general manager up at Stowe Tennis Club up there in the mountains of Vermont. Uh, Elle, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to see you. Uh, I love that you have a scarf on. I'm here in Florida, so I feel good about that. You know, you got I got a coffee vest right here if I need it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Elle, I know some of your background. Your background is that you were a, a, a you know world-class athlete, bicyclist. How did you get into tennis and, and take us through your thought process getting to become a club manager at one of the leading tennis clubs in Vermont? How'd that come about? Well, it was mostly sheer coincidence. Um, I would have never guessed I would end up at a tennis club, let alone the manager at a tennis club. I mean, really. Um, what happened is I moved back to my hometown in 2019 to start a family. I had a baby in early 2020 and my mom is a member of the Stowe Tennis Club. And so at the you know end of that 2020 year, I got, she forwarded me this email that the Stowe Tennis Club was hiring. So I just, I don't know, it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, maybe I can do that job. My mom's a member, all her friends are in there. How bad can it be? That's basically how I got there. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and, um, and part of the reason I, I asked you to be on this podcast is that you are somebody that hasn't been in the industry that long and, uh, you know, grew up in sports, grew up knowing the club, obviously. Um, 
but coming into Stowe Tennis Club as the manager, what did you expect and what have you found really surprising? Yeah, um, I think that's, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot there in that question. Um, of course, I mean, we could talk about that for half an yeah. hour. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that some of the things I remember from the hiring process of just what they told me about the job versus what that day-to-day really was. And, and it's, it's, I'm sure it's common at a lot of clubs. The board of directors doesn't always know what operations is really like on the ground. There's just that boots on the ground difference. So um, I remember them looking at my resume and looking at my background in customer support at a tech company out in San Francisco, doing a lot of, um, you know, work process optimization, a lot of software implementation, um, really like a good IT background. And they're like, oh, okay, great. Like you, you, we have a lot of systems you can upgrade at the club. Um, And I also remember them saying that at the time, you know, 2020, um, the wait list of applicants to get into the club was essentially zero. And it was just, one of those weird pandemic things where um, we, we really got to the bottom of the wait list. So for them at the time I was hired um, marketing, they were like, Oh, we, we may need you to market the club more than we ever have, you know, in the future. So I kind of thought, okay, you know, those are two things they match up to my background. And then when I actually got on the job, there was just, there were so many layers. Um, and there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of overlap or really training uh, between me and my predecessor, my predecessor retired and she was really out of the picture. And that might've been an unfortunate circumstance, but I, you know, had to just run with it. And I mean, before I knew it, I was like learning how to drive a golf cart, which isn't that hard. I know, but <laughs> I'd never driven a golf cart before. And I'm like learning how to do court maintenance. Cause I got to train the court maintenance staff. So there's just there. I did get to do a lot of that tech system software implementation, but I think what really surprised me are those moments where I'm learning how to do court maintenance. I'm climbing down in the reservoir pit of our irrigation system, um, trying to figure out some plumbing situations, um, learning about all the rules and policies about the club that are mostly unwritten or somewhat written. So I that's a brief summary that, that the tip of the iceberg to answer your question. Well, you know, I don't think people and we were just I was just actually in a meeting. It's tax time. Right. And I have a new accountant taking over uh, my my bookkeeping. And they looked at the, the the chart of accounts and we have several clubs under management. They can't believe what we do. Like they're like, wow, there's expenses for that. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, everything from workers comp to liability, business liability, but then you have liability for housing. Like if you're going to house somebody for a pro, you know, if you, if you house them and you're the lamb or the tenant and they're a subtenant, there's liability there. You know, people don't see that. All they see is the, the yellow fuzzy ball going across the net or the golf ball going off the first tee, the whack of the driver, but they don't see the back end. And, and that's what my next question to you is, is in terms of the back end, the, the behind the scenes work that you do, you know, there's, there's, there's accounting, there's administration, there's hiring, there's staffing, there's um, marketing, there's membership communications. Let, let me ask this, of all the, you said the layers, which is a great word, which layer do you find takes the most time? Let me, let me ask that first. Which layer do you think takes the most time? Well, I, I'd, probably have to say um, 
our membership database and sort of dues collection process, but that's just because I'm in the thick of it right now. Um, And it's also, and it may, it may get incrementally smaller year after year, but um, this time last year was when I onboarded the club onto our new kind of software, which housed our website. And then on the back end was kind of the membership database. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm still, I'm still going through all our records and making sure they're up to date. It's kind of this process of trying to go for, I mean, we had paper binders of membership records and dues invoices from years past. So there was just a lot of paper to go through. And then our old file manager was just really archaic and kind of locally on this one computer. So it's, it's a learning process for me, but it was just, it was starting from, from zero and really trying to figure out, okay, how do I implement this entire system? And, and I, I, again, I really don't even think the board of directors understands how much work that is. Definitely don't think the members understand when they now click on our website and they log in and they pay dues in about 30 seconds, they don't understand how much goes in that back end. I mean, it could be the design of those pages, the writing of that content, you know, what's in the reminder emails on each page, how you structure the dues. I mean, we have separate dues for kids at each age range, you know, how do you fit, how do you fit that into this software that you've bought? Um, and it's satisfying work, but it's definitely takes a lot of time. So that's, I'm in, I'm in the thick of it now. So I guess that's top of mind. Right. No, I get it. I mean, think this thing, you know, you you think about that and how easy it is now to pay. Um, I I saw a a note from the CMAA, which we'll talk about in a a bit, but that some of the clubs are now going over to Venmo. I mean, can you imagine only 10 years ago, members only paid by check. Exactly. Now click of the button, your cash flow is better. You can, you can pay, you know, you get those uh, expenses down quicker. Um, and, but all the back end work of that takes time. And, and unfortunately that falls usually on the, on the, either the club manager or the comptroller, if you're lucky enough to have one and it's a big job. Right. And it's a lot of investment too. I mean, I understand that I'm investing so much time in it now that it will pay off in future years that I won't have to do so much system management. Um, but it, it's one of those kind of, small ironies that you'd think it would be just, you know, oh, you plug in this software and it just works. But, you know, you do have to invest in those initial years. Let me ask you a question about the layers as well. Um, And that's going to come down to hiring. And and, and you brought it up. Maintenance falls under your purview, as they say. Um, It normally falls under the club operators and admins purview. It doesn't fall under as a lot of people don't understand the director of tennis or the director of rackets doesn't get out there day to day and do the, the courts. Um, how easy is it post pandemic? We can maybe say, hopefully maybe it's just an endemic now, but how easy is it going to be to find staff for this summer to go out there and sweep and roll those courts? Or is that going to fall on, 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 on your desk yet again? Can you find people up there? Oh, I am hoping that I can find people. I mean, I am hiring for a maintenance person right now. I'm also hiring two pro shop <laughs> staff, um, so and a lifeguard. So if you know of anyone, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's a, but that we'll, we'll maintenance person, that maintenance person is is really hard, and and I think about it and I talk about it a lot, especially at the board meetings, because it's a, it's a funny job, and 
you know, how it's been done in the past is seven days a week, 6.30 or 6 a.m. That's just, that's tough for a lot of people. And you, you know, one in a hundred, I I swear, (laughs) would be willing to do that sort of thing seven days a week. So, um, you know, just raises a lot of questions about who, you know, there may be candidates out there that can do the work, but maybe aren't going to be happy at that seven days a week, six in the morning. So, uh, you know, I, I just try to take creativity with me on that, but it is stressful. It's, it's a really crucial, I mean, it's a tennis club. You have to have facilities that are ready for the members every morning. I mean, without it, it's, it's just like, why, why are you here? (laughs) So it's, it's, that's the hire that, that really gets me every year. I had a great maintenance person last year and they informed me just a few weeks ago that they took another job. So now it's, now it's crunch time. I got to make the magic happen. I remember my first job. I was 14. Um, I had worked, you know, legal first job. I had worked on a horse farm for a couple of summers and muck stalls for cash. Uh, we won't go there. It was illegal. Uh, I was 13. But my first job was sweeping courts. What a surprise. And I remember my first um, general manager was Doug Miller. And uh, I remember the first day I met with him, he said, Ed, you know, you got a responsibility here. These courts have to be ready by eight o'clock every morning. And I had a bike ride from home. You know, my parents they didn't want to get up at 6 a.m. And, you know, Scotty Brockman and I split that job for two summers, four days on, three days off. It's it's not easy. We were talking about this and have a think. I'm just going to give you a hint here. I, I, do you have underground or overground watering up there? For irrigation? Yeah, irrigation. Um, the sprinklers or is it? From yeah, underneath? it goes underground and then it, yeah, well, it doesn't it comes, pop up, but they, they get the, the pipes come up on the fence posts. On the fences. Okay. So yeah. we call that overground watering. So okay. overground. Yeah. If, if you have a really good overground watering system and, and, and I've done this at a couple of clubs is you can sweep at night Yeah. and you can save your time in the morning. Yeah. Um, I utilized that last year. It's, it's kind of nice. I mean, the court maintenance person can do maintenance twice in one day and have the next day off. It's really not a bad option. Right. And it, it does help. It, the courts aren't perfect. They're not pristine in the morning because the sprinklers the water droplets, I know. Water droplets. <laughs> but if you're, if you have a lot of play, there's that you can always argue with the membership saying, Hey, if we have a lot of play sweeping it in the morning, dries it out. Yeah. And it does. Uh, it, it does. Right. And so at 10 30, if you, if you don't sweep it in the morning, they're actually better at 10 30 mm-hmm. um, especially on those hot days yeah especially on those hot days yeah gosh it just but, makes me realize that how much i have learned about court maintenance in a crash course on the job over the last year and a half it's it's crazy i mean i just i you had to invest i had to study i had to ask a million questions and it's funny to me now in retrospect that I know these things like you know sweeping the courts in the morning dries them out right I mean, you, you, in two years, you, I learned, it took me 20 years to figure that one out. So you're doing really well, okay? Beyond the Baselines is the leading executive search firm for private members clubs and boutique resorts. From the kitchens to the courts, the practice tees to the waterfront, Beyond the Baselines is your partner to find the best in-class employees for your club, facility, or resort. Whether you are a member-owned club or a corporate hotel entity, we are the specialists for you in elite hospitality. It's not just the members that should feel loyalty to their club. It's the sense of loyalty combined with the pride of offering superior service and hospitality in every worker that makes a good club that much better. So find that right candidate with us today.
Call us today at 508-538-1288. That's 508-538-1288. Or visit us on the web at beyondthebaselines.com. Let me ask you a question about, um, this is a tough one, and don't get specific about your club because I know, you know, probably people will be watching. Um, But long-term planning, okay? So you've been there for two uh, it, maybe after your third year, you'll have, a, you, you'll have the handle on it so great that you can say, hey, let's look at this. You know, where do we want to be in five, 10 years? And this is a big question for clubs post-pandemic, especially you now have a waiting list. You said that when you started there two years ago, the club said, oh, we should do some marketing. Uh, you know, marketing wasn't needed during cor- coronavirus. So most clubs, if you don't have a waiting list, you should have one, but right. you have one and um, the clubs that I'm, I'm at, uh, we all have waiting lists too. How are you going to approach the board? Let's put it that way. And I'm sure you have already, but how are you going to approach them as time goes on and say, hey, we really need a long-term strategic plan and document. And, and I'm going to give you my answer, but only after your answer, because I heard a great answer this week and I'm adopting it. So what's your answer for that one? Um, well, I think that, yeah, I think that there's a tendency in the club to think that things are pretty great as they are, which is a great place to be. Um, you know, the, the club has money in our savings. Um, the membership seems pleased with and and satisfied with how things are currently run and the, and the, you know, what the membership, what the club currently offers. So, um, and as a nonprofit, sometimes there's, there's just not as much of that, um, you know, attention paid to the actual business. It's Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, this is what we do. This is what we're here for. And we just keep doing it. So I, I'm really trying to recognize that that's the framework that I'm working within right now. Um, but I also see a really um, key part of my role is being one of those voices that, that can speak about what could be in the future if we would want to change and what kind of possibilities the board might want to consider and what's the justification for that change. So my strategy is to spend that part of my job researching and asking questions and seeing what other clubs are doing, seeing what other memberships and other parts of the country are asking for, um, talking to industry leaders about what they think the next generation of tennis club members might want, the amenities, the programming they want, and really come to the board with good research and a good argument uh, for why the club should change and, you know, what kind of what's in it for the club to, to adopt those changes and to be persistent, but also patient. And, uh, I think that's, that's kind of my strategy right now. I think you made a great point there. What, what should the club look like and what are members going to want in five years? And it's changing. It always changes. And I know people don't like change. Members don't like change, but it does change. And, I just did a, 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 a percentage breakdown two years ago at Pretty Brook where we've taken over management. Uh, 90% of play was open play, 10% instruction. It's now 50-50. And the instruction isn't just private lessons. 50% of the instruction is like six on a court, 105, triples, these fun social games that 
don't require a serve. So a lot of different levels of player can play. And to look at the numbers is really interesting for me. My answer to that question, and yours is pretty similar to mine, is that the club outlives the present board of directors. Right. So that for me, a long-term strategic document is a living document that a next president or the next half made up board that comes in the next six out of 12 that come in can take that document and run with it, basing it on ideas from past boards and also moving it forward. So you kind of get a bit more continuity through changing of boards and presidents. Which yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I, there is no such document at the Stowe Tennis Club right now. So <laughs> that's, I, uh, yeah. I hope there is soon. I, I think I, with you at the helm, I think there will be pretty soon. Um, yeah. okay. You're a very, uh, you're a very thoughtful person. I, in our conversations, I've noticed, you know, getting prepped for this and talking through some of the issues you've had up there. You're a very uh, thoughtful and foresightful person. So um, I, I think you'll definitely have uh, a document of some sort up there. Well, it's just um, exciting to be part of change. I mean, I'm just, oh, I'm at the point in my life in my thirties where, you know, what's the point in keeping with the status quo? What's the point of, you know, keeping things the same. And so that's where maybe I'm at odds with some of the members, but um, hopefully with time, they, they come to recognize that and, and possibly appreciate it. But um, yeah, it, for me, that's what makes the job satisfying is, identifying those possibilities for change and implementing them and seeing them pay off. Awesome. How, how do you, and this is like a, a linked question, how do you communicate? You run a business, okay? And, and, and a lot of members who go to a club think of it as a haven, a relaxation, a spot for peace and tranquility. They don't want to hear about, you know, liabilities, uh, cash flow, how do you approach that kind of a communication with your board? Do you, is there a certain way, certain method, certain technique? Cause you're, you're doing really well up there. I want to, I want to know. Well, I guess it depends. I mean, if I'm talking to the board of directors, um, you know, it's, we're kind of on the same page about the business aspect. I feel like for the most part, um, you know, when I come to the table and say, you know, here's what we're currently paying. And if we do this differently, we can pay less. I mean, that's kind of a, an obvious one, right? I think right, the right. more challenging uh, discussion is, you know, here's what we're currently doing, but if we spend more money, we'll get this benefit in the future. That's also kind of a tough, uh, argue, tougher argument to make because it, it revolves around the budget. But um, it definitely, yeah, it definitely helps just be well-researched and to really have that succinct justification for this is the need, this is the solution, this is why this is the business decision that makes mo the most sense right now. Um, and, I, and I can tell I can tell when things are a little bit, you know, not on sure footing, um, like our uh, our pool has uh, really labor intensive filtration systems mm -hmm. that require, you know, weekly or biweekly maintenance. And our, our pool maintenance staff usually has to take them off site and just spend hours cleaning out these filters. And so I'm trying to get new filters put in that don't take as much maintenance, but that's a hard argument to make because they want to know exactly how much money they're going to save in maintenance to be able to pay off that expense of the new filters and the new filter, the old filters aren't broken. So you got to, you got to deal with these things very patiently and, and really say, okay, the, it's not currently broken, 
but let's spend some time talking about what we might gain from some improvement here. You know, that argument goes along with uh, a bigger tennis or golf staff, you know, got to grow the staff. Well, how is that going to help the club? It's going to cost us more. Yeah. But long-term you get more members, you get more initiation fees and you get more revenue. If you're taking a percentage from the, from the pros, we all forget that a club really should take a percentage. So uh, we were in our chats pre pregame huddle here. And you said you were reviewing the contract from the early nineties of your director of tennis, just mm-hmm. trying to figure out if there was a, 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 a living contract. And I think that proves to me, and I'm sure it proves to you how some clubs have just not come into the 20th century as, as legitimately, you know, you think forget the money wise things and, 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 and your relationship with your director, but think about how liability has changed and think about how staffing has changed and 401ks and benefit plans have changed. And, you know, to have a contract that dates back to 1994, it just shows you some clubs that have just not thought that out as well. I'm not saying that it's a mistake having a contract that, that long. If it's worked well, so be it. But I'm sure it's missing some of the, the modern uh, issues that we have had in staffing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a there's a couple thoughts I have on that. One is that through my recent hiring, I've definitely, you know, had the sense, especially kind of in this pandemic, post-pandemic era, of employees really wanting more of those perks with the job. Um, so it kind of goes along with those liabilities, right? People want, you know, a 401k, or they want, you know, some help with or some sort of benefit. Um mm-hmm. You know, so it's, you know, when you look at that 1994 contract, it is so bare bones. It's like, take care of your housing, take care of your health insurance. Don't blame the club on anything and, and we'll give you some commission. <laughs> so it, it is, it is pretty, it is, was pretty amusing to read. Um, and I mean, most of it holds up, right. But um, I had only read through this contract recently and it really, um, yeah, it really made me realize that you know, for the past, you know, two seasons, I've been dealing with this head pro not knowing anything about his contract. And that, I mean, that's just one of those things that can just get messy when you come in as a new manager and there's just, there's no one sitting there telling you exactly how things have gone in the past. you got to figure it out as you go along. So uh, we've, we've talked a lot about this. There's just a lot of things that I just kind of had to observe with how the head pro worked. And I have a lot of thoughts about it after the fact, but I didn't, I didn't arm myself with that information from the beginning. And so those work contracts, I don't, yeah, I mean, it just was kind of, it kept going. Right. And, and, and it's really time to clarify things. And I think that will, that will help me out, but yeah, one of those situations. Yeah. I, you know, when I first came into this business, after being in advertising and marketing for years and years, I came into being in tennis director and now beyond the baselines. I hated contract renewals. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get my way and I'm going to keep that contract for 10 years. You know, I don't care what the club thinks. I completely disagree with that now. And and I've changed my stance because a a yearly or bi-yearly, bi-annual contract renewal, it it invites discussion. And I, sometimes I don't like that discussion, but most of the time I learn something and, and the contract gets better. Not always, but sometimes. And I think having a contract there for 30 years or 28 years, whatever it is, uh, it's probably time to have that discussion. And 
you know, I'm not saying that you should do that right now, L, but if I were at a club that had a contract with a director of tennis from 30 years ago, I'd have that discussion. Um, because I think we, both sides can learn. Both sides exactly. can learn. And it's not a one-way street, and it shouldn't be looked at upon now. I don't think of it as a, as, as a club saying, uh, we want to get rid of you or have the opportunity to get rid of you. I think, I think sometimes it's the opportunity to make the program better. And, 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 and on our side, to the members, show us, your contract included, I don't know how often you're getting renewed, but your contract included saying, hey, you know, I didn't realize that this was going to take 50% of my time. But, you know, we need an assistant GM or we need this type of a controller or accountant or where to have you. So those discussions are important. Um, And yeah, it's just part of planning, you know, and it doesn't have to be intense or stressful or combative or anything. It's just making a plan for how you're going to make everything run smoothly and serve the membership for the year. So um, I, I welcome the opportunity to sit down with the head pro because we get along and, and, and go over that contract and we'll probably <laughs> chuckle a bit, but hopefully at the end we'll, we'll be on the same page and I, and it will, you know, set us up well to work together for the season. So it's true. These are just really yeah, important things that, um, I didn't realize how important they were on my first year of the job. Now I know. I'd like to welcome our first sponsor here at beyondthebaselines.com podcast, and that's Play by Court, playbycourt.com. Choosing the right technology partner is not an easy task. However, staying with the same outdated provider can be a costly decision. And with today's fast-changing environment, while well, you need a partner that will help you adapt to the ever-growing needs of your members, at Play by Court, well, they provide the best technology solution customized for your club. With their app, your members can easily manage their profile. They, they can book courts, programs, lessons. They can pay. I asked Andre, show me the payment solutions. It's fantastic. And your members can communicate directly with members and you, the staff. So please go have a look at playbycourt.com and see what really matters most to your members. Your club, your rules, your software. Playbycourt.com. And, and, you know, we were talking a couple couple weeks ago, I think you and I were talking about the, the Club Managers Association, which I don't think you were quite aware of how strong a organization and, and, and that may be. And I advised you to probably, you know, join it and get on their mailing list and, and all that. In that regard, you know, you came through to this job in a very different way through, you know, a club that you knew as a kid, your mom's a member. Um, but there are a lot of managers out there that come up. Well, I came from tennis, from marketing and advertising. I did not know about the USPTA, which is our industry body or the PTR until one of the pros said, Hey, Ed, you got to go get certified and get insured. I'm like, what? What, what would you say to an incoming manager about um, getting to know your industry and, and the industry bodies? How, how would you say that they, they should look at the look for those bodies and how should those bodies or organizations look for somebody like you at a club such as yours? Yeah. Well, one thing that comes to mind is that, um, you know, I just, I don't know what I don't know. And, and that's, that's something that's, yeah, a real kind of guiding key element to taking on a new job, but a new industry. Um, uh, I spent a lot, I've spent a lot of the first two years in the job uh, learning about how things were run and were handled in the past at the Stowe Tennis Club. And that's, that's really important, right? But that maybe shouldn't be everything because 
you're missing half the picture of what the industry does outside of that. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't have regrets obviously, but I, I do see now that, um, you know, what I was able to, that kind of that knowledge base of information I've been able to gain from the club um, while being on the job has been very specific to the So Tennis Club and, and also important because I should learn how things were done in the past, but that doesn't really carry forward. That, that only takes you to a certain, up to a certain point. So um, I think that that's really the key is to, to marry that with what the industry is doing what the industry leaders are thinking and anticipating and, and projecting and, and marry that with what has been done in the past. Because again, we've kind of talked about, you can't sometimes can't move too fast because you're definitely going to have those decision makers at every club that think things are pretty great how they are. Um, so again, it's just that really interesting interplay and balance between here's how things have always been run, but here's the opportunity to catch up or keep keep pace with the industry. And I think that's, I, I see that that's really important now. You know, it, it, how can I, and I'm sure it's the same in every industry, but I notice it more in clubs and you're going to get a kick out of this because of what you just said. Every time I hear a new director say, Hey, Ed, I got a new job, you know, new golf director, new, I said, okay, the first five people you meet will be the loudest members and they're going to have the most opinions on each subject. And they're going to have two subjects that they're really hot to trot on. And I said, and so it comes up like, so when I went up to Massachusetts for the first time, my, my GM at the time was from down here in Florida. I brought her up with me and there's this one member there and he was there every day and, you know, saying, I want, the, you know, we got to do this. We got to do that. And she would call me. I wasn't there yet. And I said, Hey, uh, Chris, calm down. She goes, oh, we got to do it. I said, there's 494 families. That person represents one. You know, you're going to hear from the loudest, the most, but you have to understand that there's so many more members that may not share that opinion. And I think as a leader of an organization such as you are, it behooves us when we take over, like you just did two years ago, to remind ourselves of that almost daily, because we get these blinders on and we don't get them on. They're put on for us or by, by the members for certain topics. Did you find that when you got to Stowe, did the same thing happen? And have you seen the, uh, have you seen it slow down a little bit? How did, how was your first two weeks, three weeks experience? What was that like? Um, well, yeah, I, 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 it definitely took me a little while to figure out that lay of the land. Um, I, I do remember that early on uh, I got yelled at by two different members at two different times for two different reasons. And that was very formative experience. Um, <laughs> clearly I was doing something terribly wrong because it was, it was very intense and resulted in complaints to the president, but you know, I got through that. Right. And that's, that's just part of, part of the job. Um, it really, what I've been thinking of in this, you know, as I get into the, this, you know, second year, second, third year of the job, it's really like being a politician. So I start to sort of think of the membership as the constituency, right? And so you you can more easily interact with those members that you know are just the vocal minority and they're very important constituents. You can't, you know, they have to feel heard. They have to know that they're understood and that that they have that validation, right? But 
But as a manager, you can keep it in the back of your head that your constituency is all your members. And, and you kind of can put on that politician hat when needed and, uh, and, and, and play that game. And, and it's not to say that you discount what you hear and how you interact with those members because their perspectives really are important, but to maintain that bigger picture and not get sucked in and also not take it personally when you get yelled at. Those are two very important things. <laughs> you, uh, if you do take it personally, it's just, uh, it, it, it's really hard to think outside the box or think calmly. And, um, you know, as, if I, as I get amped up in a conversation with a member, I just keep my mouth shut now. I just listen and it, it, it saves me. Um, and you have to think constantly that I love, I love your uh, parallel with constituencies because we are a representative almost, we're not elected, but we're appointed by an elected board. So it's, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's <laughs> true. exactly yeah. right. Uh, so, so what does this summer hold for you? I mean, what have you, let's say, what, what, what do you hope this summer holds? What, what are you going to change up there? Not, not that you don't have to change too much because you've got a great waiting list, but what are you going to change? And, and what are you hoping for out of summer 2022, which might be your first regular summer in three, maybe, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, it won't be a regular summer for me because I'm having another baby in July. Oh, but... congratulations. You didn't <laughs> tell me that. Thank you. Thanks for letting us oh, know. Congrats. Well, yeah, it's it's going to be exciting. So, um, but you know, what's what's really interesting is um, figuring out how I'm going to handle that, you know, maternity leave or how I'm going to get coverage so I can take some time off when the club is in season. Um, it's allowed me to think really open-mindedly and critically about kind of overall operations and staffing. And last year and the year before, because I was so new, I think I definitely had the tendency to just take on everything myself. Um, it's like, oh, this needs to be done. Well, I'll just do that too. And this needs to be done, I'll just do that too. Um, and I have to really think differently this summer about what I commit to and really think critically about what specific roles I'm going to focus on are going to be my priority and what things I can and, and who I can ask to help with the other things. Um, for example, I really want to hire someone in the pro shop who's really an assistant manager in the pro shop. So I it kind of relieves me of, of the some of the day-to-day -day burden of making sure sales are recorded accurately, making sure mm -hmm. employees have all their shifts scheduled, all that thing. I mean, I I had done that last year and it, it just takes so much time because you have to be available to, to you know, deal with those escalations from your staff just all the time, right? Seven days a week, something could happen and you get called in to, you know, solve some sort of payment issue or weird, whatever. Um, so that's one thing. And that's an easy change to make. It's just, it's a staffing decision. It's a training decision. You're looking for someone who has a few more leadership skills than maybe your regular pro shop uh, staff person. So um, I, I hope I can find that uh, key Not hire. Easy. Not and also easy. just a little I, yeah, bit with ahead. the facilities too. Just make sure I have really good staff in place and maybe rely on the board members who are on that buildings and ground committee to help me oversee the facilities a little bit. So it's like asking for help, really critically thinking about the roles and responsibilities that I take on primarily and looking around to see who can help. It's funny, I, I did um, 
it'll be our sixth year at Sipcan up in Marion, Mass. And I did the same thing my third year. I, I, I tried. The club said no. They didn't see the advantage to it um, for a tennis concierge. Uh-huh. Right? So the tennis concierge is this role that's kind of, and we have one in golf too, golf concierge. They're, they're, that role is there. And it's a role that is really aimed at member service because that takes so much time in the height of the season. You know, members have so many questions, all almost always legitimate questions. Um, and you can't mentor and educate all your staff to be able to answer every question, but you can mentor and educate one member or two members maybe. And um, so we had the tennis concierge really in full swing last year. And the members always said, Oh, I I don't see the use of this. Well, every time there was a a, a fourth needed, the concierge either played or found a fourth. Every time a member came in and said, I want a three in me, but I only have two that concierge found the third, the revenues driven by the concierge who also knew, you know, the price of each, retail shop item because we do it we have a big uh clothing uh concession it just saved me so much time saved the general manager so much time and so this year i don't have a junior director i have a junior administrator whose real sole job is not going to be on the courts is just basically administrating the pros and the spreadsheets and the billing for the 200 kids and um i mean yeah she she can hit a tennis ball and she can teach but she's going to be behind the desk and then I have a concierge too. Um, so these roles are so important. And in actuality, I'm going to meet with those two positions twice a week because they've got to basically know what I know. Um, right. Because if I'm not there, someone's got to know. Yep. And I can't rely on my general manager. Um, I, I mean, I can. I love her. She's the best. But it would be, be overwhelming as, as it's going to be overwhelming for you having a baby. Yeah. So um, you're spot on trying to find that position. At Beyond the Baselines, we have over 25 years of experience with management of private members' clubs and boutique resorts. Whether it's finding the inefficiencies caused by the blurring of roles between management and board governance, managing a single department, or educating and mentoring a key employee, we have served the private members' club industry like no other consultancy since 2007. Partnering with club governing bodies and working alongside management, we bring a team of highly specialized and experienced associates for that personal touch and hands-on management style to achieve long-term goals with short-term results. At Beyond the Baselines, we understand the traditions and importance of membership, but history and connections to a bygone era shouldn't inhibit growth. In fact, we believe they can be a catalyst for change. So please visit our website at beyondthebaselines.com or give us a call at 508-538 1288. That's 508-538-1288. And let me ask you about uh, the off season next year with a baby, obviously. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad I'm sure you're going to love having a little downtime. But what are you going to think about next year in terms of um, and you may not be able to answer this that that well based on what happens this summer, but in terms of uh, membership, because I think next year the the waiting list will come down a little bit. how are you in your initial interview? They said, we got to market the membership. And how do you think you're going to market that membership next winter when we might not have a waiting list? Oh, it's a good point. I mean, I, I'm, I'm something I'm really curious about. And I, for Stowe Tennis Club, I feel like the jury's out on when our waiting list is going to decrease again, because when I started in 2020, it was zero. And now it's back up to a really big number that I feel like is going to take multiple years to get into the club. 
That's great. Just because we just don't have that much turnover. So um, if we keep our current membership cap, I, I sort of, I'm curious. I, I just, I really don't know. It's going to be, um, if we keep that current cap, the waiting list is really going to be driven by how many people leave the club or turn in their certificate. Um, so it, right as it looks right now, it doesn't seem like marketing is going to be needed for some time, but it, it could change pretty fast. So um, that's, that's something I'm really fascinated about. Where is tennis going as a whole? Because before the pandemic, from what I heard, it was kind of trending downwards. There was a lot of junior mm-hmm. programs that just weren't getting the numbers. There was a lot of other activities that people were doing instead of tennis. And because tennis is this outdoor distanced activity, it's just shot way back up again. And I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen in the next five or 10 years for tennis. Um, but if I did have to market, um, you know, there's going to have to be some really important discussions between me and the board on um, those changes that the club can make to actually have something to market because the product that I feel that we're, delivering right now is is pretty bare bones and and that's not um there's a lot of people at the club that like it that way there's a lot of members at the stowe tennis club who are proud that the club is humble that it's it's not fancy it's simple um it does the right things well um it's affordable so there's there's this sense of who we are now and who that serves and so when we start talking about that future wait list and what might happen and that future member that we might have to recruit, I think it has to start with those really tough questions of, okay, well, who do we have to be for those people to really get them on board and really start to appeal to that next generation of people? And, and so there's a lot of questions there, a lot of discussions that, that have to take place. I worry that the wait list will disappear because I, not that you're going to let that many people in, but I think after two years, people get to say, Hey, my kid's already 14. They're gone. There are, they're going to do lacrosse camp. Um, And I'm trying to figure out a way uh, several of the clubs we work with of how to get like a temporary membership in. So the, the, the waitlist people get a taste of what the Stowe tennis club is about or what a club that we help manage is about, because until they get that taste and you wet their appetite, it's easy for them to drop out. Um, and then suddenly your waitlist goes from 40 to 20 to 10 and you're at this cap. And here's what I say to my boards is I say, look, it can't hurt to let a few more in at, are we truly at capacity? Can you not get a court? No, everyone gets a court. You might have to wait a half hour, but letting that other person in brings in another group another demographic because that one member knows another four members, that new member that somebody in the club doesn't know. And that might join the club. So you're expanding your demographic, your universe, as we call it in, in marketing and advertising. You got to remember I'm an advertising guy. You got to keep the universe busy and big. If they don't bite the first time, they might bite the second. And remember you have to see, I think marketing, the rule is you have to see something eight times before you act, give them a taste, give them eight days at the club. Maybe then they'll act, stay on the wait list and go in the next year. I think that's so important because I, I've heard of the wait list at the Stowe Tennis Club from decades past that some people would wait 
a decade to even get into the club. And I think that represents a really important shift in mentality where um, in decades past, that membership was such a, a status symbol. It was such, it was so important socially to say, I'm a member of this club. This is socially, I'm part of this group. And this is where I go to hang out with this group of people. And so it, it's, it has a value in just that membership. Mm-hmm. Whereas I do see a, a real trend now towards, well, I want to be a member for the services because I want to play tennis and, and I want to figure out what this place is all about. I'm not willing to wait, you know, two, five, ten years. So it's it's really a shifting industry. It really is. And, and so I think it's so important to obviously, when possible, start anticipating those changes now and start, you know, making those changes now, putting them in place now for the future. Wonderfully said. I'm going to leave it at that because I don't think anyone could say it better. Oh, well, thanks. L. Anderson, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. It's been great having you here. Have a great summer this summer at Bestow. And uh, can't wait to see your second baby. Uh, I hope mom and baby make it out healthily. And I hope to keep in contact with you as that all happens this summer. Good luck this summer. And thanks for being here. Oh, thanks. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to beyondthebaselines.com podcast. It's a pleasure bringing you each week's news and views and great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.beyondthebaselines.com, which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.